Hi, and welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening today. At Redeemer, we are committed to connecting people to God's transforming love, and I hope that this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. We have just kicked off a four-week study called Faithful God, where we're taking a look at Old Testament stories where God's faithfulness has proved to be consistent and powerful. So join us all this series as we explore our faithful God together. So here is week number two of our series from our senior pastor, Bill Clark. Today we continue in our short series on the faithfulness of God. Though it's a short series, it's a major theme of the Bible, major theme in Scripture, that God is faithful in season and out of season, in good times and difficult times. God is faithful. And we've been looking at the people of the Old Testament to see God's faithfulness. As I was preparing for this message and for the series itself, not long ago I was listening to a Christian radio station, and I think very thoughtfully they invited people to call in who didn't believe in God and to have a dialogue about why they didn't believe in God and why they didn't trust God. I also had a conversation with a man a few weeks ago about the same subject. So the two of those things kind of coming together made me think about how people see this who are not yet people of faith. Both of these people, the fellow I talked to and the person on the radio, said essentially the same thing. One of their doubts about God, one of their um, cases against God, if you will, was that if you read the Old Testament, God involved himself in a lot of violence. And they didn't believe in a God that could be violent. So as the conversation went on in the radio, they turned it to Jesus and they said, well, Jesus is okay, he wasn't violent. But the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of violence. You know, the truth is there's quite a bit of violence in the Old Testament. And I think it's for us to, good for us to put our arms around that a little bit and say, can a faithful God execute his will and his ways in ways that we might not first think are the, the preferred way to do it? What's it mean to believe in a faithful God who would go to great lengths to protect his own people? I've read a lot of articles recently. I find myself reading a lot. Um, I'm here every day, but there's just not a lot happening. So it's great to see you, by the way. Wonderful to see you. Um, but there's more time for reading these days, which is the one plus I've found in this pandemic. One of the things that I have read are some of the critiques by what are called the new atheists about the Christian message, about the message of a of a God that we believe in. And the new atheists are also well known for um, distrusting the scriptures because of the violence that occurs in the scripture. So the question this morning, the question this morning for us is just one to wrestle with. I'm not sure I'm going to solve it, but it's, it's just going to be a question to wrestle with, perhaps in conversation with family or friends or people that 
are doubting God in a season when they so very much need the grace and gifts of God in their lives. The question is this, can a faithful God, can a loving God tolerate violence? Now, this question deserves much more than a short message, but perhaps we can explore it a bit together this morning. I also want to say that when I preach on the Old Testament theme, I generally talk to my friend Daniel Bunn, who's, you know Daniel from, he's been a preacher here and a teacher here, a wonderful guy. He has a PhD from the same seminary I went to. Daniel is a really smart guy, and he knows more about me about, than, than I do about a lot of these themes. So, of course, if you don't like what I have to say this morning, it's Daniel's fault. I just wanted to make that clear. Reconciling a loving God with the violence that does occur, particularly in the Old Testament, requires some hard thinking. Take, for example, the, the violence, if you will, of the great flood in Genesis. Why were all but a few people saved and everybody else drowned? Or for the critics of the Judeo-Christian faith, what about the Canaanites who died at the hands of the people of God? I mean, from Abraham to Moses, the people of God's choosing were promised a land for themselves. They got that land because from Moses to the book of Joshua, the conquest of the land promised to Abraham happened. And they had to kill a bunch of the Canaanites to obtain that land. And so there are people who ask a legitimate question, or at least a hard question. Were they, was it necessary to kill that many people for a land for the people of God? Was that necessary for them to be a blessing to the whole world, which was promised in Genesis chapter 12? When Abraham was still Abram, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to the world. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And that happened. That's a great deal. It's a wonderful thing. The people of God would have a land. The problem was the land was full of people who didn't want to leave. And so sincere people question why God would want to start the blessing of the world with an invasion. But it happened. And God's faithfulness is still woven into the events and the affairs of human beings on this earth, even in seasons and times when it seems punishing and hard and even harsh. What's our response to this? Well, first of all, if you take the situation with the Canaanites, the Canaanites really were a bad people. I'm sure there were individual Canaanites who were fine folks, but the Canaanites were a pagan people and they practiced pagan beliefs. Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 9, 5 and 6, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Nope. 
No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. Wickedness was punished. This is part of the work of a faithful God. Now, we all know, and they knew, that the Israelites were far from perfect, but their mission was to stamp out pagan practices, the everyday stuff of the Canaanites. And so God allowed that to happen. If I could use a, a modern illustration, I would remind us of World War II and the cause of the Allies in defeating the Nazis, who were a terrible people. By any objective standard, the Nazis, the leadership of the Nazis in particular, were a terrible people. So the mission of the Allies was to destroy them. But it wasn't to kill every single German. It wasn't the mission of God's people to kill every single Canaanite. But evil had to be stopped. And sadly, even as we see in our own day, sadly, violence is part of the human condition. That doesn't excuse it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have opinions about it, or we shouldn't try to stop it, or we should try to live more peacefully. Of course we should. But violence is a part of the human condition, and it always has been. It happens in all places all around the world every day. We wish it weren't so, but we live on this side of heaven, and on this side of heaven there is sin and destruction and death. Two more examples. This one's from the book of Exodus. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is slow to anger, but God can get angry. When Laurie and I were raising our children, our four adult children, I remember times, I, I really can't pin this on Laurie, I can certainly pin it on me, though I'm sure she must have had some of the same feelings. I was not an angry father, but there were times when I was angry with my children. There were times I were. I was angry with them. By God's mercy, it was only a feeling, but I had it. Parents need to be slow to anger, but they do occasionally get angry. During this pandemic season, I have had more time to read. And to be honest, some of what I read is fairly depressing. One religious journal I pay attention to said that a particular leader of a particular Christian denomination, not our own, said that by the time this is over, the coronavirus, they expect that they will close a third of their churches because people will be out of the habit of coming, because people will be discouraged, because people will have lost heart. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. And that's a, a thing that somehow the faithful God is going to have to rebuild his people if that prediction is true. Today, for the first time in months, we have the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper. 
which among other things is God's promise through Christ to remain and abide with us forever. We aren't perfect people, obviously, but God never has required that. We trust, though, in a faithful God. At times when I personally go weary about all the stuff that's going on around us, I'll take a look at the back of the book, the book of Revelation. In chapter 5 of Revelation in particular, but the whole book, it was written by, you know, this man named John on the, as an exile on the island of Patmos. He was the only disciple who wasn't killed. He just was exiled on this island in the middle of the Aegean Sea all by himself. And in chapter 5, he has this vision. He has this vision throughout the book. But in chapter 5, he has this vision about a new song. I've always loved that phrase, a new song. A friend of mine started a church in Laguna Beach. Nice, nice work if you can get it. But um, he called it New Song Church. I love that. I love that. New song. And, I, and, I, and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they, are, they will reign over all the earth. That's the promise. That's the promise in the middle of difficult times. It's the promise in times when people have lost their work or lost their health or even died. It's the promise of people who are depressed or lonely or sad. It's the promise to the people of God who believe in a faithful God and trust that this faithful God will sustain us and continue us and there will be a renewal. It's the promise of a faithful God who was taken and crucified at the hands of angry men, at the hands of unjust men, and who in an act of incredible and tragic violence was killed. And yet he was raised. He was raised on Sunday morning by the very power of God. And in communion, we gather and we remember again. And we draw close to this loving God who raised his son and who gives us life and hope and renewal and a future. One day, the one who was brutally crucified by those angry men is going to make the world right. He will. He'll make the world right. All parts of it, all of it. And yet this one who was mistreated at the hands of angry men refused to get angry. But he left us a perpetual memorial. And after this song, we'll share in it together and remember God's faithfulness yet again. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a faithful God. Even when things seem dark and difficult, you remain faithful. You love all people. You love them and sent them your son. And for those so privileged to have been able to say yes to his grace, we thank you for the hope he gives us. Now, 
and into the future and forevermore. Thank you, God, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.